Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough, CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur, aviator, world traveler, weekend warrior, and coach. He thinks of himself as half geek, half sales guy, passionate about how innovation and technology can solve problems. He's been an entrepreneur for more than 25 years, a longtime member and past president of EODC. He's also a commercial pilot with over 14,000 hours and 30 different aircraft types. CEO and co-founder of Agility, please welcome Pramod Rahaja. Welcome, Pramod. Thanks, Greg. Nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. I love having you on the show. So our show is about leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, Pramod, tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Yeah, um, sure. I think one that that I, I might have had, or I think I see a lot of people have is, um, as an entrepreneur, which is which is really how I would you know identify myself as, as somebody that you know sees something and wants to do something about it, solve a problem, and 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 somehow you know um, make a buck off, off of that solving that problem, right? Or or at least having an impact and being able to help somebody. Um, one of the one of the things I see though is if you're going to do that, you've got to you've got to you've got to build a team. You've got to bring people on board your organization, whatever you're doing. And it's not enough to just say, I'm a founder and I started this company and by default, I'm, I'm a good leader. That, that is yeah. absolutely, you know, the big mis, a big misconception. I'd say it's especially with younger people that, you know, are starting things. And so I would say for me, myself, um, I've had, you know, over the last 15 to almost 20 years, have spent a significant amount of time um, really honing in on those leadership skills that you don't just naturally have and that you that are acquired and that, and that you have to learn. So I think that an intentional effort to be able to be a good leader is is there. And even when you think you are, there's always so much more you can learn. And um, and so I think the misconception is just because you're an entrepreneur and a founder doesn't make you a good leader. That's very well said. Um, and you talked about your leadership journey. Uh, let's get a little bit deeper into that. You know, where, what have you done, or what do you do on a regular basis to sort of sharpen that tool, sharpen your leadership tool? Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, the internet obviously has lots of things on there, and you can certainly, you can certainly, uh, you know, download lots of books and materials and Harvard Business Review and this and that. But I'd say the, the the one thing that's probably been the most impactful, because I know we're in the impact leadership show here, so I'm going to give you the most impactful stuff. The most impactful thing for me has been my my uh, connection with my peers, my fellow founders, uh, fellow founder CEOs, we'll call them, right? Because you do have to grow into the CEO role, I believe. And um, and so my fellow founder CEOs, which I learned so much from, um, and it could be something as you know, very strategic. It could be something very tactical as to, gee, how did you handle this one? You know, how would you handle this one situation with a employee I'm having, or et cetera, et cetera. That you know, sometimes sounds simple on the surface, but there can be some underlying layers that are complicated below that underlying problem that 
cause you to pause and say, am I really doing this right? And if I do it a certain way, what are the repercussions, you know, after, after the fact, and how is it going to affect um, our, me, my company, the people around my, our team, um, our reputation as a company, things like that, that, that you got to ask those questions. And so it does require some thinking. And so I've always, I've always found to wrap that with a bow, I've always found that my peers are the best place, you know, is the best place to go. And, and, and there's always some experience that somebody has had that can be um, helpful and impactful. So asking that question a little bit differently, um, there's an audience member who's thinking about starting their entrepreneurial journey, but doesn't know where to find their peers. Like how do you, especially earlier on in your career as you're developing your, your tool set, where do you find other than the internet, <laughs> or maybe it is the internet, but where do you, where can you find like-minded people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these days, of course, there's tons of networks out there um, online um, for, you know, for, for founders. Um, of course, uh, you know, you can see it on my shirt here. The one for me was uh, EO, uh, Entrepreneurs Organization. Uh, and, and that one has, you know, for the last 11 years now has been, you know, my go-to uh, for, for the, you know, ability to connect with my peers and sometimes just connecting in a social setting even and, and having some light conversations can lead to more meaningful conversations once, you know, an a relationship and trust is established between individuals. Um, and that, that, that applies to everything in life, of course, but uh, specifically founders and entrepreneurs are very busy. So there, you know, we or they—I'll say we—we we, we're not going to give somebody time uh, unless it's you know we feel like we're able to really help them and and that we're you know and we're that we're able to impact them. Um, and if we just feel like we're wasting our time, it, it, you know, sometimes we don't even we don't even pay attention because we're so mired in our own world of what we need to do. Um, so what my my point being there that is that an, an organization like entrepreneurs organization where you connect both online and in person allows you to build relationships and meaningful ones where now those conversations are much easier to have and and people will respond and and say hey yeah I'll, you know I'll, I'd love to chat with you sure you know and and take take very valuable time out of their day certainly I wanted to jump back to your misconception around the, the fact that you're a founder or a business owner or an entrepreneur doesn't necessarily mean you're a leader. And in your comment, you talked or you mentioned about leading young people. And I know your business, and we'll get into those details shortly, but you're very high tech, you know, recruiting out of colleges, recruiting out of master's engineers, competing up against the Amazons of the world. Talk to us about your recruiting and how do you differentiate yourself from the Amazons and these other companies that are are picking up the same engineers that you want to pick up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one thing I'll just clear up is that I, I think when you do are an entrepreneur or founder, you by default are a leader. It's not that you're not a leader, but you're not necessarily an effective leader that that has impact, right? You you know I've I've seen and I've even experienced it in my younger days where you know um, you have high turnover and then you're wondering, well, why? Why do we have high turnover? <laughs> and then you start examining that problem. And maybe if if you're um, you know, if you're the type of person that looks inward, then you say, hey, maybe, maybe we, maybe we, I could be doing something better, right? And then you figure out how to do that. Um, so going back to your question now of 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 recruiting 
we'll call, you know, people that are, you know, earlier in their careers that, that have, you know, really good competing potentially job offers with large companies that, um, you know, with larger compensation packages and benefits, et cetera. Um, I'd say that one of the things that's uh, attractive that people find attractive with us is really the culture. It's a culture of, um, I, I would, I would say people first, we, we really invest in our people in terms of as we grow and scale, we want, you know, the, a lot of the people that you're describing are, you know, scientific research, innovative, right? And so they're very focused on their solution sets and solving that. Um, but we also emphasize that because the company is still early stage and young, that they have an opportunity to grow into leadership roles if should they want to. And and so that that's an attractive feature to come work with us because by default, they're also they're put into a role where they are just like a founder, you're you you are a leader because you have to be, but it doesn't mean you're effective. And so we really work hard to to give them those that skill set and work with them um, on a regular basis to improve those managerial slash leadership skills that they didn't come right out of school with, and and maybe they've never even seen before. That's that's very interesting and and it's very insightful. Um, shifting gears a little bit, but staying in the high tech space, you're also very involved in the capital markets, fundraising, you know, venture world. Talk to us a little bit about living in that environment. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think if, if I, if we were to ask any founder right now that that was sitting here next, if somebody was sitting here next to me, they would probably say a very similar, similar thing, which is, um, it is, uh, a nonstop, um, busy follow-up hustle type of world. You know, you could even, even, even some of the founders out there that are well known and and um, you know have great success under their belt, maybe multiple successes that you would think that automatically just could have people write checks. Even they have to you know go out there and really work hard. Um, and so it is an environment where um, uh, you know it is cutthroat. It is difficult. You have to. I, I'd say the big takeaway there from an impact perspective is you have to be able to take a. Uh, objections uh well and 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 learn learn from them and move keep moving um and 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 you might have a hundred rejections and you still have to keep just moving and and going um and I think why why you could do that why you could keep moving is if you really truly believe in what you're doing mm-hmm. if you truly believe in what you're doing then it's actually fairly easy to take a no and say okay whatever you're you're you missed opportunity that's okay uh, I'll keep you in the loop and we're we'll you know we'll keep we'll keep going. <laughs> So that's, that's painful to hear, but I completely understand. <laughs> understand. Um, you know, as you look back over the fundraising times, any, you know, common mistakes that you've seen that you've made, or you've seen other founders make while in that capital formation process? Well, that's a, you know, that's a big question. There's a lot there, but I'll say one that, that, that I see often made, um, Pretty often, and it's I think I'd say it's a very basic one, is the uh, the cold outreach to 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 just anybody. And what I mean by that is, well, that's one. But two, I'd say um, sometimes raising money too early as well. Like um, there's this sort of misconception since we're talking about misconceptions, and I'll, I'll kind of dive into that, which is to say that people think, okay, I have an idea, let me go raise some money and then start executing on that idea. And, and that, that still to, you know, today happens quite often. Uh, my answer to that, or the mistake that's made there is go figure out how you can build something 
that is, we'll call it a prototype for now, a prototype or something that you can show and actually prove your um, the demand for that, the product market fit, we'll call it, um, with some trial customers, we'll call it, right? So uh, in one of my past businesses, that's exactly what we did. We we didn't really have money for a budget where, you know, to go hire developers and build our software product, SaaS product. And we built something just nowadays, there's so many tools online that you don't need to know how to code and you can piece things together and actually make something work. Is it going to be perfect? No. Is it going to be exactly your final product? Absolutely not. But it's enough to go to a potential buyer and say, hey, let me show you what I have. Um, would you buy it? And, you know, they may say yes. Um, but, you know, may, if you can get even further and actually have them write you a check, which I've done also, um, then you have the case for, hey, there's something here. And now maybe I'll go raise money. So actually build something, do something on your own, bootstrap it initially. You don't need tons of people or tons of uh, money to do that. Um, but yeah, maybe to scale and to actually build the product the way you want. Yeah, you're going to need uh, money. But the big misconception or the big mistake I see is people going out too early with just the idea and, and they're just going to get many cases just shot down, right? Before they, before they even get started. So, uh, or if somebody does decide to invest, the terms are not going to be as ideal as the founder would r- really like at that point in time. Certainly. Yeah. That, that balance between how much bootstrapping versus going out and truly fundraising into the point that you made before, about capital formation, right? That's another full-time job. So not only are you developing your technology, working on your sales execution, now you've got a capital formation strategy that you've got to be attentive to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Absolutely. Um, you know, you also mentioned, Promote, uh, this ability to find resources that, you know, you said you made the comment about you don't need to know how to code anymore. You could piece together components to get where you want your technology to be, which is very much, you know, the gig economy, you're finding very specific slivers. Talk to us about working in this gig economy, where you found sort of these little pockets of, you know, output. Talk, you know, walk us through how you think through that now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, two things. One, you know, you you probably do want somebody to be able to code at some point. However, early on, you don't. And there's plenty of tools out there. Like there's one called Bubble.io, as an example, where um, you can you can you know you can put together a, um, your solution. And oh, by the way, now leading into your question, you can even get somebody like a freelancer to even do that for you, <laughs> and 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 follow your guidance and and all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I we I still take the approach, um, and I probably always will now forever of. Um, you know, when when it comes to hiring, uh, in many many cases, you, especially early on, you may not need somebody full time. Um, you may need somebody ten hours a week, five hours a week, or maybe it's a project effort. And then you know, after that project's done, that initial prototype's done, maybe nothing happens now for a couple months while you're out there figuring out how this works and what the traction looks like and things like that. Um, or maybe you just need them to kind of continue to do maintenance. So yeah, we we take a, what I would call a a team a team based approach to hiring freelancers um you know to get very specific i'm a big believer in in the gig economy um i do believe also that there are certain roles that you do want to insource and keep completely full time in house um but there's many roles that you that, that can supplement um in fact you know right now we're bringing on a digital marketing um you know for lack of a better title a digital marketing consultant coordinator that you know a lot of what we do 
um, on the on the marketing side is in the digital realm. We're doing things in social media. Uh, we're starting to put content out there, things like that, and it and it it does work, right? But in order for it to work, you've got to have the resources and you've got to have the consistency. Otherwise, you can't just say, okay, let me let me put up a social media post uh, today. And then not do anything for another couple months, you know, that's just that doesn't work. You have to be, and that goes to some of the Gary V stuff that people probably know about, which is like you've got to be out there all the time. And in order to do that, you got to have the right talent. But do I need somebody doing digital marketing for me right now, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week? Probably not. Um, you know, 10, 10 to maybe 15, 20 suffices and and does is very effective at the moment. Uh, long term, you know, that that may change, right? So your business will evolve. But early on, and since you focus kind of on the early, early stage entrepreneur, early on, you could piece a lot of this together. There's so many um, tools out there now, both um, there's, you know, do-it-yourself tools where you can go like Upwork and things like that. And then there's also more concierge-based type of uh, organizations where you just say, hey, I don't really have the time to go and search for the right candidate. I'll pay you. You find me the right candidates. And if that they don't work out, you replace them, et cetera. And so more of a concierge style as well. So there's there's plenty of options these days. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's it, to me, it's a great thing. Um, it's never been easier in the history of the world um, to have an idea on a Friday and to have something launched on a Monday. And, and I and I literally I can say that, that, that you could do that. So I love it. I well, it won't it. be perfect, but you can get something out there. <laughs> so. That's fantastic. That's inspiring, really. Um, <laughs> so we've been talking about the how you've been running and building your business. Talk to us about agility. What What's your focus? What's the technology? Get into the passion. Give us a little bit of, of what agility and, and your team has been doing. Yeah. And I can say this now that I've kind of been around the world and seen pretty much everything that's out there. Agility is building the most... Uh, autonomous and artif- and we'll call it smart or using artificial intelligence, aerial robots, or as most of the world knows, uh, drones uh, out there. So we build self-flying software that we input, input into, we actually put into our own drone designs of which we have five issued patents now um, with that, that can, uh, that can basically fly and think on their own to a certain extent. Uh, ultimately, we're going to take that software, turn it into an operating system, and be able to implement that in in many other types of other drones. Because we're not there's, the drone world is like the aircraft world. There's many different types of drones for many different types of missions and use cases, and it's actually much bigger than even manned aircraft that most of our audience will know. Um, you know, most of our audience will think, okay, use a fighter jet, a fighter aircraft for for fighting. You use a a trans sport for cargo and for people. And, and, you know, there's just a few types of, we'll call categories uh, in the drone world. There's much more than that. It, the It's it's really quite broad and, and growing. And so we know that we're not going to build every type of piece of hardware, you know, out there, but we can certainly put our software into many types of hardware. But for the moment, yeah, we're putting our self, our self-flying software into our drone designs and then, and then um, selling them for very specific use cases, specifically, uh, we we like to go into dark, dirty, dangerous places, uh, places that it's that that maybe people go right now. The status quo is that people go, but maybe you don't want people to go in there. They've got to climb into a, a you know a very dirty, dark tunnel, and there's danger or potential danger or um, you know or hazards. And um, so, why not send um, a machine in there, a robot that like if you lose that 
okay, you lost it, but you didn't lose a human. You didn't lose a person. So our mission, our focus, what drives us, what wakes us up in the morning is really to how, how do we improve and save lives with what we do? And, and that's really what drives us every day. Fantastic. And, and so talk to us also about how, how you were founded, like give us the journey. And then I want to get into your background after that. Sure. Sure. So we were founded um, through what I would call uh an arranged marriage. So my co-founder was a faculty, uh, aerospace engineering faculty, which is also my alma mater and my major at the University of Maryland. He was working on a very specific, unique uh, intellectual property around essentially drone designs. Um, and uh, and if you're a faculty at a university, you work for them. So you have to disclose your inventions. Um, so you have to basically tell them, hey, this is what I'm doing if you want to. And if you want to do something with that, if you want to commercialize it. And so that's what he did. He went through a path of commercialization, got some funding to build, start building prototypes. And through that process of commercialization is the also the matchmaking and the introductions that occur as part of that process. And so the individuals that are involved in that are called entrepreneurs and residents. They, they, they typically, they don't live at the university, but their, their role is to foster entrepreneurship and work with faculty on commercializing, te commercializing technology. And so I was introduced to my co-founder, Evandro, to actually start a company if we wanted to. And, but the idea was, hey, you guys should meet. If there's something here, you know, go forward. And so after about three, and a half months of dating, we co-founded Air Agility, came up with the name and the logo and all that sort of thing, incorporated um, and got out of the gate, initially got some grant funding um, right after we started the company. Um, and then from there on, you know, kind of proceeded to get some other funding and some con small contracts that really kind of put us, set us on our path to what we have now. Fantastic. Um, so sw switching gears a little bit, let's talk about Promote. Like when did you get this entrepreneurial bug? What kind of businesses have you been involved with? Give us some of your history. Um, yeah. So when you introduced me, you said I was also, you know, an aerospace guy and all that. So ever since uh, I can remember, I've had airplanes and spaceships on my wall, probably age four or five, maybe, um, you know, while other kids at that age in that time frame of the 80s, 70s, yeah, 80s, we'll call it, had, uh, you know, Farrah Fawcett and other, you know, fixtures on their walls. I had, uh, you know, Neil Armstrong and and, uh, and an F-16 or something like that on my wall. Um, and, and then so fast forward to high school when, um, you know, now you're a little bit older. Um, I, I remember just always, you know, really being involved and wanting to be involved in organizations and be kind of the leadership structure and also always trying to figure out um, is there something I can sell? And back then we didn't really talk about entrepreneurship. There wasn't like curriculum. Nowadays in colleges and even in high schools, uh, my son went to a high school where they had a whole entrepreneurship curriculum and they had none of that back then. So I started out selling t-shirts um, for various things. And, um, and that kind of parlayed a little bit into college off and on um, and even post-college. And um and so that would be, I would say, the start of like what I call being an accidental salesperson as well, right? I never thought of myself. Again, back then, nobody ever talked about sales as a career, you know, and and as we know, entrepreneurs um, somehow have to figure out how to sell, whether it's, you know, through somebody on your team or even yourself kind of has to know how to talk about 
something and do it in a, in a, in an effective manner. And so I, I'd say it goes way back then. And then, um, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a pilot, so I started, uh, flying, got a job flying, but I was always hustling on the side. And, and back in the day when, when everybody carried pagers, part of this audience probably doesn't even know, know what a pager is, but we would carry pagers. Doctors carried pagers to be on call. Pilots carried pagers. I would sell pagers, uh, and long distance service to uh, fellow pilots and even long distance service. People don't know what it was like back then. You couldn't, you know, you, you if you wanted to call home from on the road, uh, it was a long distance call from your hotel. Right. And this is before cell phones. So we, you know, figured worked with some tel- telcos and figured out how to sell uh, 800 numbers that they could attach that are home lines, which was a fraction of the cost of what it would have cost calling from the hotel. So, so, you know, these were some things I did early on that parlayed into consulting um, some consulting kind of um, small businesses. And then um, ultimately I got into franchising and bought a few franchises and sold those. Um, and um, really though my heart and soul is is um, uh, leading edge technology. Um, I read MIT stuff from MIT and, and, you know, IEEE and all these things. And so I'm really into technology and specifically how aerospace technology can change the world. And I do believe we're at the cusp of a revolution right now and an evolution of, of, of aerospace, meaning um, how do we use drones? What's happening in space? If we just look at what's happening right now with SpaceX and many other companies, we're actually seeing a revolution happen right underneath our eyes. And it's pretty pretty incredible to watch. And I see many of the Gen Z, the young younger generation, watching Falcon X rockets take off and land and things like that. And so there's a lot happening right now and, and I wanna be a part of it. So looking forward slightly, where, where does this industry, the industry that you're in, this technology, this innovation, what does it look like five, 10 years from now? Yeah, so, um, if we go back to when I graduated from college, it was, it was I would call it that at that time, the aerospace world was, was kind of dead. The, the space shuttle program was in, had trouble and, and there wasn't a whole lot going on. And many of my fellow aerospace engineers that graduated with me ended up going into IT and other things and never even got into aerospace. But if we go now to 2022 and we start looking out 5, 10, 15, even 20 years ahead, uh, I'd say we're, we're going to have a, re- a revolution for the next 20 years where you're going to see um, drones uh, everywhere. At some point, you're going to see air taxis Um, may not happen tomorrow, but yes, five, 10, 15 years, you're going to start to see this this mixing of of what we call uncrewed systems or or, or drones that don't have a person in them flying around in conjunction with manned aircraft in the national airspace system. Maybe not at the same altitude and things like that, but they're going to be mixed in and and there's going to be... um, you know, deliveries. We've, you know, everybody reads, sees on the news, Amazon and Google and things like that. Amazon is, you know, trying to perfect their deliveries, for example. Um, and and many other organizations like UPS and things like that are doing their own things. Um, and so um, all of that is happening. And it, it, I would say in the last few years was kind of slow, but now it's accelerating at a, at a very fast pace. So to answer your question, the next five, 10 years, you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see a lot more. It's going to be much cheaper to launch a satellite in this space as another example. Um, and you're going to see innovation with even the aircraft that you jump on. We're going to see more uh, focus on electric. How do we get, how do we become more electric? And I think that may not happen again. That's not going to happen overnight, but you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we'll see more of, of, of those type of things too. So just the technology changing when we, as we talk about renewables and, and, you know, and sustainability, 
Um, how do we get away from fossil fuels is another one. So there's just a lot, a lot of different disciplines. So for anybody that's listening to this that wants to get into those type of career fields or even start a business in these career fields, um, there's a there's there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of problems to be solved. Fantastic. So promote audience member curious to reach out to you, wants to continue the conversation. What's the what's your social media platform of choice? How can we get in touch? Yeah, I'm on everything. Uh, I'd say LinkedIn is probably the social media platform of choice, but my handle is my first and last name, Promote Rahasia, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, easy to find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook. I'm on pretty much everything, but LinkedIn is probably the one I use the most. I find it to be the most uh, professional, and that's you know how I connect with other fellow founders, as well as, uh, many, in many cases, partner companies and 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 and, and the like. So I'm easily reachable. Wonderful. I'm, I'm so excited to continue to watch the progress that you and Agility are making and, and experience the, the technology innovation uh, for the next five to 10 years. So thanks for the doing the hard work so that the rest of us can enjoy the luxuries of that hard work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to see you again. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.